Welcome to Agriculture in North Carolina. Hello, farmers and friends. I'm Dan Miller. This program is all about the largest industry in our state, agriculture. One of the great things about having an agricultural research college like NC State is the diverse faculty it attracts. Today, we'll chat with Massimo Urizzo, associate professor in the Department of Horticulture and Plants for Human Health Institute. The properties of blueberries and carrots are just a few of the many fruits and vegetables he's done research mapping on. And I'm guessing he's from Italy. So I'm interested as well to find out a few things about the farming picture in Italy. Also, our federal legislators have extended their own deadline on the spending agreement. That and other headlines with our own Jeff Turner in just a moment. Ag and NC is made possible by Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Find links to those folks on our website, agandnc.com. Jeff Turner joins us. Jeff is the COO of Murphy Family Ventures and member of the North Carolina Board of Ag and co-host of this show. Let's head into the headlines. President Biden signed a temporary spending bill just one day before a potential government shutdown, postponing a budget dispute with congressional Republicans into the new year. The bill received strong bipartisan support in both the House and the Senate, ensuring the government will remain funded for at least the holiday season. I think the key word, Jeff, there is we know one thing that will make politicians move and that is Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah, it's a shame you got to wait 10 months to get to Thanksgiving <laughs> each calendar year for someone to actually do something. Hey, by the way, you sound like you're outstanding in your field. I am. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I'm I'm in the middle of the woods. My older son came home, Josh came home to deer hunt and shot a nice deer. But he says it's a nice deadly. deer. Do you know that's yeah, a nice deer? Yeah, it was, but he, 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 it wasn't a deadly shot, not so far. So <laughs> after three hours of tracking a deer, we still are without meat. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> so you're sitting on a stump having a discussion on the radio. This is technology. I am. That's marvelous. Yep, it's amazing, isn't it? I'm in the middle of the woods in Pink Hill, North Carolina, no less. <laughs> Hey, this temporary spending package maintains government funding at the current levels approximately two more months while negotiations continue on a long-term spending package that already began fiscal year October 1st. It establishes two separate deadlines for passing full-year appropriations, January the 19th for some federal agencies and uh, February the 2nd for others. I don't know about you, but I woke up amazed that House Speaker Mike Johnson got this thing approved and through. And part of this, by the way, is that the farm bill has an extension through September of the coming year. And I got to tell you, there are a lot of folks who are opposed to it because of it keeps what I call the Pelosi spending in place. But hopefully they've got a couple of months to work on it. And my guess is two months hence. They're still going to be fighting, saying, well, we've got to have 30 more days because nobody knows how to get anything done other than to talk about it. Let's do something about it. The current ag spending extended to September of the upcoming year, but according to uh, a lobbyist for the National Cattlemen's Association, he said that I talked to uh, Senator Grassley. He and I agree for the first time on something, and that is it's likely to be 18 months, so they're going to overshoot the deadline again, they believe. And one of the reasons for Imagine that is... Imagine that. Yeah. His point is, as we already know, is that it's two different constituencies in the ag bill. One is, of course, the producers, and the other is consumers. Well, deadlines mean nothing to this crowd. If they worked in the real world like the rest of us poor folks do, things might get done a little more timely. 
Yeah, you can't put off planting. Nope. I mean, when, uh, as the old folks would say, when the dogwood leaves gets as big as squirrels' ears, it's time to plant corn. One thing that has bipartisan support, though, in Washington is the uh, non-observance of deadlines. You nailed that. that. That is certainly something they can all agree to. The USDA has announced a $100 million purchase of fresh and processed apples to alleviate a marketplace overshot and abundant harvest this year. Michigan Agriculture Cooperative Marketing Association Representative Don Drake says Section 32 purchases help reduce excess inventories and support for farmers. It's been a while since we've had one for apples. Apple-producing states, Washington, Michigan, New York, Pennsylvania, California, Virginia, Oregon, and North Carolina, by the way, in order there. Michigan is the one that happened to uh, lobby for this the most. The chairman of the Agriculture Committee in the Senate happens to be the great senator from Michigan, Debbie Stabenow. That's exactly right. It's amazing how things like that work, isn't it, in D.C.? <laughs> you know, that's the reason everybody wants to stay in there a lifetime and, and have seniority so they can get all these rights. Uh, and in many cases, it's the reason the constituency keeps voting folks in. They know even if they don't necessarily like a particular representative, they're bringing more pork home than anybody else is going to. They bring home the bacon. That's what it's about, I guess. Yep. Hey, I just got a press release from the North Carolina Agricultural Development and Farmland Preservation Trust. Recently awarded $15 million to protect working farms and forests, support farmland preservation efforts, and promote agricultural enterprises. $12.8 million went towards securing 46 agricultural conservation easements on 5,000 acres of lands in the state. The family farms will permanently be protected from development, becoming North Carolina Forever Farms. According to Ag Commissioner Steve Troxley, says, quote, these grants are instrumental in preserving the precious farmland, a resource critical to producing food and fiber today and in the future, and a vital part of our state's heritage and economy. That's certainly one of the projects, one of the pet projects of the commissioner. If you look around at what's going on, well, you've got farmland in certain counties that, are, I mean, it's selling for forty and $50,000 an acre because you can grow corn on that land or you can grow sweet potatoes on that land, but it grows homes pretty well as well. We're losing farmland day in and day out to solar panels and homes and pavement. You know, it's eroding away. Again, the largest industry in the state is agriculture. So we have to be more efficient at what we do because there's fewer acres doing it. But at the same time, we've got to figure out a way to preserve those acres. It looks as though, as I read the uh, the list of areas that the money went, that is pretty much spread across the state with maybe a focus on some of the areas that we talk about all the time, which is the urban encroachment areas. There's land all around me nearby that's selling for twenty dollars and $25,000 an acre that's farmland in rural North Carolina, eastern North Carolina. Coming up on today's program, while you uh, track down that, by the way, is this a, how many pointer is this thing? Well, he counted eight. We'll see. Was he good in math? Yeah, he's pretty darn good. He's actually a financial advisor, so he counts pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I've tracked all morning. I've looked at blood and looked at blood, and I've ran out of blood. I maybe climbed a tree or something because I can't find the deer. <laughs> <laughs> well, save me some sausage. Coming up in just a moment, we talk with Massimo Larizzo, associate professor and faculty staff scholar at NC State about fruits and vegetables. That's ahead. Ag and NC is made possible in part by Ag Carolina Farm Credit, financing rural North Carolina for generations, lending solutions for farms, land, and homes personalized for you. Ag Carolina Farm Credit, giving you room to grow. This is Ag and NC on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. 
Massimo Urizzo is Associate Professor, Faculty Scholar at NC State in the Department of Horticultural Science and Plants for Human Health Institute. And he joins us on Ag and NC. To get everybody acquainted with who you are, including myself, give us a little idea of your background, where you were born, and how you made your way to the U.S. and NC State. So I'm, uh, I'm born and raised in Italy. I graduated in crop science back in Italy, and I did part of my PhD um, between Italy, and then I came in the U.S. Uh, the first time in 2006, and then I completed my PhD in 2009. I did my postdoc at UW-Madison in, Med- in Wisconsin, called again, and then finally said, okay, maybe better to go to a warmer place, came down to North Carolina's position as a, an assistant professor, and I'm here since 2015. From what region in Italy are you from? So are you, are you used to the cold? No, not used to the cold. Uh, I'm from the uh, beginning of the south, Naples area. Uh, it's not that cold. And let's start with blueberries. So are the best-tasting blueberry cultivars the ones that return the greatest amount of health benefits? Wouldn't that be nice? Is that true? That will be nice, but it's not true because we, we, we really, there is no real connection between the, the taste and the health benefits of blueberry. Now, if they taste good, so you eat more often, yeah, you might have more health benefits, but there is no direct connection between the taste and the health benefits. And the problem is that many times you buy a clamshell of blueberry and it's not consistently good. So then it takes time to the consumer to go back and buy again. And that is the case in many in many cases. When I go to the grocery store, I actually look for smaller blueberries rather than the large ones. The large ones, to me, don't have the intense flavor. They seem to be more water baggy, but they do look absolutely beautiful. I like some tartness and acidity in my blueberry. Am I in the minority or the majority when it comes to blueberries? You are the minority. There are few studies that have been already published and some that we are working on. So when we look at the question about what is the relationship between willingness to pay or consumer preference and the sourness, sourness, unfortunately, is a deterrent for blueberry consumption. The breeder tends to breed for uh, higher sugar because it's a low acidity, because uh, uh, sourness it's uh, been associated with consumer not liking blueberry. Part of your work is in mapping blueberry cultivars. I mean, is the point behind doing that that it gives us more factual, less subject uh, breeding? In other words, yes, um, I, yes yeah, exactly. When we're trying to breed new cultivars, how long does it take to establish a new variety? Mm-hmm. If you are in the ideal condition, like in the southern uh, southern U.S., let's say Florida, where you can basically get fruit from uh, new seeds after two, three years since you planted, probably can take 15, 15 years. Okay, one five. Now, but as you move north, northern uh, part of the U.S., uh, the cycle it's not as quick. So then, to get a plant from seedling from seeds to fruit, it take longer. So we are probably talking about more than fifteen years, talk close to twenty years in the northern region. Traditional breeding, it's, it's the breeding that has been used since uh, domestication of any pro- crop, okay? So it works. So today in a cultivar, a breeder needs to include so many traits uh, 
uh, that it's challenging with traditional breeding. So there is the, the pressure of the market change, right? So there is how, how quick today the market change considered to compared to 20, 30 years ago. Market change rapidly today. So then there is demand of new product. There is climate change, new disease, new regulations. So the breeder need to be able to select at the same time for multiple characteristics and then have more objective way to evaluate those characteristics and faster way to evaluate those characteristics. So that's why the work we do in, in developing DNA tools or phenotypic tools that can help on the selection process. So tapping another area of your research, what makes blueberries taste good to what makes carrots orange? Oh, okay. So what makes carrot orange is uh, those are, are some metabolites that the plants produce are called carotenoids. Okay. Now, carotenoids, it's a large a, a family of, uh, of metabolites that the plant produce. And there are one type, it's called lutein, make carrot yellow. There is another type, it's called lycopene, the same lycopene that it's in watermelon and make carrot ye- uh, red. And then there is alpha and beta carotenoid, uh, carotene, which make carrot orange. So alpha and beta carotene make carrot orange. So they are not vitamin A, but they are the precursor. When we ingest the, the alpha and beta carotene, our body has enzyme that transform them in vitamin A. If I were at a farmer's market in Italy, do the carrots look different than they do in the U.S., and do they look different at other places around the globe? And is that because of heritage, or is it because of consumer demand? In Europe, in general, there is very, very, very similar to what you will find here. Now, for example, if you go in India, the most popular carrot is the red one, lycopene. If you go in Central Asia... Iran, Turkey, that area, purple carrot is very, very, very uh, popular. For example, in, in Turkey, there is very, very popular drink, fermented carrot uh, juice, and it's very popular. Any other thoughts on carrots or blueberries before we move on? Just uh, eat them. They are good. <laughs> Perfect sense. I don't have the opportunity very often to talk to folks that have spent some time in agriculture in Italy. Italy is more mountainous than the United States, so there are some natural constraints on farming. So we see the average size of uh, a farm smaller in Italy than we do in the United States? Oh, yeah, 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 much smaller, yes, yes. That's a major difference, and like you said, way, way more uh, challenging with uh, uh, the the acreage that it's on a very very flat area it's relatively limited to compared to the US most of the the lands are you know either in uh, in mountains which change a lot the mechaniz- level of mechanization the type of mechanization but also uh, like you say the the size it's the size it's much smaller yes we do have corporate farming in the United States, still family farming is norm, but in Italy, given the small acreage per farmer, by the way, are we talking like 20, 30 acres? Is that a reasonable size? Yeah, probably even smaller. And so uh, yeah. my assumption is it's still family farmers are the majority. Yes, it's still family farmer. There are few mechanisms that have, have, have helped now the farmer in the last uh, 20, 25 years that helping the farmer to really make some additional money, funding money out of the farm. It's the use of the, the agritourism. There is a lot of farm that in addition to the farming, they do agritourism, very, very popular in Italy. And then the other thing is you hear about the, the label on the product, DOP, DOCG, 
those are denomination of controlled uh, guaranteed production help some uh, some products to increase the value of the product outside of uh, of Italy. That what you're talking about, people understand probably pretty quickly. An onion and a Vidalia onion are two different things, and Vidalia onions are from a particular geographic area. That's the same with DOG in Italy. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not that great at cheeses. Parmigiano or Reggiano? Yeah. Yeah. Is that from a particular area? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's from the Reggiano area, and uh, and then there is a protocol on how to produce it, and that's just like one of the things that I, the, a mechanism that helps a lot to increase the value because some of the very typical product that can be demonstrated to be very, very historically linked to the area, they develop a, a protocol that it's approved by the UA and uh, it's and then you need to produce following the protocol that that and then if you do then you can label your product DOCG uh, or other little label that mean that the product is strongly linked to that territory and then it's produced with traditional uh, technique, and then you pay more for it. There are different levels of uh, denomination of geographic origin. There are some that are more strict, and there are some that are less strict, okay? And there is, um, so the more strict you go in those labels, those denominations, then the more you need to be very, very restricted to the, a specific geographic region. If you go a little bit lower, the geographic region go a little bit extend a little bit more but yes those must be produced from those area and when uh, you know I have a friend that produce uh, wine he has a winery so you need to keep track of all the growers that, that gave you the wine because when you need to certify the, the wine to be uh, DOCG, you need to bring all the documents that show that that wine was produced and uh, bought from a farmer that is in that region in Italy, too, like the United States, you have many different regions, growing areas. So uh, as I read, the north is a grain and even a dairy industry, and the southern part of Italy is more where you're from, and, and south is, is a citrus, olive, that kind of thing? Dairy, it's a little bit everywhere in Italy. Dairy, like uh, cheese, it's everywhere. It's just what type of cheese. For example, in my area, it's very popular, the mo- buffalo mozzarella. It comes from the region around where I am, okay? Um, and then uh, you go in Rome, and they have the, the ship uh, cheese that it's very, very salty. And then you go in the north. Cheese, it's almost everywhere in Italy. It depends on, only on the way it's prepared, okay? But then, yes, the, the olives are much more toward the south, and grapes are more center and north, but Sicily has also good wine. Uh, depends on the type, let's say, but there is probably, in that sense, it's, uh, it's not as splitted probably as the U.S. There is probably more continuity for those productions in Italy. Apple, it's very typical in the north that you don't find much in the south, but grapes, olives, and uh, cheese, it's almost everywhere. Some of that probably is to do with the fact that uh, Italy is well steeped in the wine industry, so you've developed varieties through the years that will grow one end of the country to the other, and in America we're market-driven, so if we don't know what the wine is, if it's not Cabernet, if it's not uh, some Riesling or something that grows in a cold area, it just is unfamiliar with us. Italy, it's more incumbent on where it's from, it's terroir, than it is the grape itself. The other reason is the geography. So in Italy you have... 
similar condition, except, of course, for the north-north side where it's very cold, uh, you can have similar weather condition in the south on the mountain as you have in the north. The citrus, it's only in Sicily. Is being part of the EU changed farming in Italy in the last decade? It has, yes, it, it has a lot. Uh, a lot of new regulations that are all, probably agriculture is one of the sectors that has been integrated the most in UA. It's um, largely uniform across the UA. You know, in some way, in good way, in other way, not in good way. You know, for example, there is sometimes there are incentives for uh, don't planting tobacco. Um, farmers just just don't plant anything because they get they, they get the incentive anyway uh, because they don't plant tobacco. That's has gone now, but there is a lot of um, incentives for diversifying the production or diversifying the, the activity, uh, like the agritourism. Uh, there are a lot of incentives, uh, you know, and uh, fi- uh, financial support. As you know from being here in America, we suffer from the graying of farmers in America. We're just the, the average age of the farmers getting older. Is that the case in Italy and uh, yeah. uh, on the government's radar to you know to uh, encourage younger farmers? It's exactly the same situation for uh, for young uh, for young farmer. They get uh, funding from the UA directly from the UA for uh, farming. There is a lot of opportunity in the in the farming, but it's still challenging to find young people that want to embrace it. Uh, I have my brother who has a, who has a farm. Sometimes he tells me, you know, it's just a lot of work, but you have to do it. And but there is no crisis. Because I mean, in the mean that there is opportunity. It's not a sector that it's a lack of opportunity because there is no many people doing it. And especially young, for the young, there is a lot of incentives and, and financial support to establish new, uh, a new farm in Italy. One thing that it's definitely it's a little bit to count the size of the of the farming here being larger and being more uh, cohesive uh, working together, I find the support of the industry here amazing how much the industry from growers to to any level of the industry how supportive is of uh, you know of uh, of research in general but also uh, initiative that can help the the business to move forward that's i really appreciate and you know enjoy uh, working with uh, organizations that can support our uh, our research because it's um, it's it's what what uh, what move our uh, our will in the labs just a thank you to the, all those who work that support uh, uh, research in agriculture massimo Yurizzo, appreciate the information on blueberries and carrots and very much so for a glimpse into italian agriculture this is Ag and NC. Thanks to the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC, North Carolina's official business development and marketing program for agriculture. More than agriculture, it's got to be NC. Our thanks to April and BG at the Farmer's Connection. If you've not put your hands on a Farmer's Connection magazine, I highly recommend it. The Farmer's Connection is a newsprint magazine with information and ads from dealers and suppliers right here in North Carolina. Check out used equipment prices from folks like Caps Trailer in Dover, Belgrade Pickerhead Repair in Cresswell, Acock Tractor in Goldsboro, Atlantic and Southern Equipment in Goldsboro and Williamston, and Premier Equipment in Rocky Mount, Enfield, Washington, and Aden. By the way, look for our own Talk of the Town program at the Premier Equipment booth at the Southern Ag Show, the end of January, beginning of February. More on that in the months ahead.
Let's take a look at commodity prices from last week. Cattle and feeder futures rebounded moderately from big losses on Thursday of last week. December live cattle closed the week at 175.75, which represented a dollar fifty-seven and a half cent weekly advance. January feeder futures also rallied two dollars seven cents and a half to two twenty-eight fifty at the close on Friday. This week's price action seems likely to be muted with Thanksgiving and Packers cutting back on activity late in the week. Hog futures proved mixed Friday, with nearby December slipping $70.97.5, along with a February loss. Whereas deferred futures posted modest gains, December hogs ended the week having declined 92.5 from a week ago. North Carolina egg prices were higher on all sizes when compared to the prior week. Weighted average price quoted Thursday, November 16th, for small lot sales of delivered carton grade A eggs were 252.33 for extra large, 245.40 for large, 228.53 for medium, and 137 for small eggs. Number two yellow shell corn was mostly 456 to 528 at the feed mills, 434 533 at the elevators through Thursday, November the 16th. Number one yellow soybeans ranged 1340 to 1399 at the processor, mostly 1275 to 1355 at the elevators, and number two red winter wheat ranged 504 to 554 at the elevators. That's this week's agriculture in North Carolina. Subscribe to the longer free podcast version on Apple or Spotify or download the IBX Media app. Details on all that and links to our sponsors on our website, agandnc.com. Thanks to Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Agriculture in North Carolina, copyright 2023, Interbanks Media. For Jeff Turner, who's still wandering in the woods, and myself, Dan Miller, make it a great week.